0: Let's let the time-space continue and catch up here, and we will get underway with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Looks like another week to me. This would be a Monday, and I don't know. Shaley Peters, it looks to me like we got in our two days of spring.
1: Yes, <laughs> and I took full advantage of Is them. You? I am a hot-weather gal, so, Are you, so you know, f- we already have people complaining that we went from snow to 80 degrees. I'm mm-hmm. like, whatever. Make it 90. That's
0: <laughs> that's. Fine. You know, someone uh, that I, I would imagine with a little fair skin like that, you wouldn't like the sun now. Really I, really uh-huh. uh, I do tan.
1: I burn really bad, but I do tan. Uh,
0: I, I always quote the great Woody Allen line that I don't tan in the sun, I stroke. <laughs> <laughs> here we go with another edition of Midday. The gang's all here, and this is the round table. Shaylee, what is the ag team working on?
1: Well, we are busy, busy today, as always, kicking off another week, and I'm physically in Lex today, which is why I'm on, but also Susan's delivering pizza to some grade schoolers today, mm-hmm. and kind of relating that to ag, we, ag producers, do love our pizza and pizza makers, right, so, but coming up at 12:19, 19, uh, Alex Wojcicki, one of our Lincoln gals, is on with Mike Williams, a California cow-calf producer, uh, recently USB Sustainability Framework was released. They're going to be talking about that and exactly. Sustainability is kind of a hot word in the industry right now, but they'll be talking about what exactly that means in the outline that they've got for that. And then Bryce is on. Of course, he was in Washington recently, catching up with all of our Nebraska senators and congressmen, so he'll have Congressman Don Bacon on. They'll be talking about crop insurance, the electronic logging device, getting some updates there. And then at... 117 we've got Clay Patton he is amongst the living again here in mm-hmm. Lex and he is on talking with John Deere they have added a 33,000 square foot spray lab at the Iowa State University campus mm-hmm. and they'll talk about that what that means for producers
0: outstanding I like the idea of us delivering pizza yes that's very nice and and keep in mind everybody out there in Brooklyn and Chicago you need to remember that without agriculture there would be no pizza.
1: We create most of
2: what goes on.
0: That's exactly right. Jason Jorgensen on sports. Husker baseball team, of course, it has
3: been a struggle, especially here in the second part of the second half of the season, but they finally won their first Big Ten series over the weekend. Beautiful weather. They had a nice turnout there in Lincoln. They were able to win that series yesterday with a victory over Maryland. They still have an uphill climb in order to move into the top eight and qualify for the upcoming Big Ten tournament, but we will get the thoughts of head coach Darren Erstad about that, but uh, at least more positive vibes coming out of this weekend than what we've seen. Uh, They will turn around and have their third and final game of the season against Creighton tomorrow night, so
0: it should be good weather for that. if this ends up being a peak, it would be a good time to have it. Maybe, or
3: a late turnaround. The (laughs) the problem is Indiana is lurking, and they've had quite the season. Also, we'll get you up to date on everything that took place I uh, in the NBA over the weekend, and it was quite a Kentucky Derby there in the mud with Boy, Justify winning. That is quite a
0: horse. Yeah, Holy totally smokes, yeah. Bob Brogan on business. Stocks are a little bit
3: higher in midday trading on Wall Street, adding to solid gains at the end of last week. Uh, China's ZTE wants to end ban on buying American tech. Nestle to sell Starbucks products. And the uh, Wizard of Wall Street, uh, investor Warren Buffett has some things to say about the economy, also known as the CEO of cash and the sultan of stocks. So we'll have that coming up a little bit later.
0: All right. right. Bob Brogan, ladies and gentlemen, and this is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's bring in Paul Perkins now take a look at our ag weather brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. It uh, really did skip right straight to the summer, didn't it?
4: right away we go from the freezer to the frying pan <laughs> <laughs> don't even get thought out
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah, it was uh and uh, the next couple of days are going to be kind of like that aren't they
4: yeah it's sticking with some 80s for quite a bit of the region all the way through thursday and then over the weekend going to trend a little bit cooler than normal it looks like only one day of the next seven days close to actually seasonal for this time of year but Right now, our temperature is pretty much in the low and mid-70s. We do have some locations in the upper 70s over western Kansas towards Colby, Kansas. They're already up to 79, 78 at Hebron. Also, some upper 70s in much of eastern Nebraska, including towards the Omaha area at 78. Those temperatures will continue to be about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than normal. And winds increasing today out of the south as low pressure approaching the Dakotas. Starts to push a warm front to the east, and that will keep those temperatures on the warm side. Scattered thunderstorms will be possible in the panhandle later today and the rest of Nebraska tonight. But very scattered chances on those thunderstorms, better chances closer to the north where that area of low pressure will be. More scattered thunderstorms possible in Nebraska and north-central Kansas tomorrow. On into tomorrow night as the front tracks to the east and winds switch to the north with the passage of it. Despite that front's passage, our temperatures will stay much warmer than normal for tomorrow on into Thursday. Not much of a temperature change with that front, just going to keep things on the warm side. Now Wednesday, we look to be dry in between systems. The pattern turns even more unsettled and cooler as low pressure tracks east Thursday into the weekend. That's when we do look at a good chance of some showers and thunderstorms since that low will be passing just to our south as opposed to just to the north thunderstorm chances the highest Thursday night and Friday night. Some of those could go severe, still a little too far out to determine exactly when we may see the best chance for severe weather due to some forecast model uncertainty. Behind that low, temperatures turn about 10 degrees cooler than normal over the Mother's Day weekend. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are set to start seasonal to cooler than normal this weekend and early next week. Then we will trend slightly warmer than normal by the middle of next week through May 20th Seasonal daytime highs in central Nebraska during that time are usually in the low 70s with overnight lows in the upper 40s. That forecast for rain starts with near normal precipitation this weekend and early next week. The outlook turns drier than normal though the middle of next week through the 20th for both Nebraska and Kansas. Soil temperature is not a problem definitely for planning now with the recent warm-up. Those soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth to 7 this morning. In the low to mid-50s in Nebraska and Kansas, the soil temperatures in the upper 50s in the north to low 60s across the south. So definitely good on those soil temperatures. Weather factors in the markets today include seasonal conditions for Midwest planting and early crop development and a chance of rain in central Brazil. Warm air will cover the western and central U.S. for much of the week, but much cooler air will arrive across the north starting Thursday. During the weekend, that cool air will surge to the south. Through the nation's midsection, something that we're going to get a taste of, widespread rain will occur in conjunction with that cool outbreak. Conditions are improving across uh, the northern Midwest right now to plant the corn. Uh, Actually, conditions are improving to plant corn overall, but the northern Midwest right now, that's where moderate to heavy rain this week will disrupt the fieldwork and planting even more conditions elsewhere will continue to be more favorable for planting along with early crop development in the northern plains the warmer weather improving the soil temperatures there to encourage planting where the soil temperatures have been very chilly as of late a brief cool spell later this week will be accompanied by increasing rain chances the eastern half of the southern plains saw moderate to locally heavy rain the past five days that improved the conditions for wheat there but it's a different story in those drought areas of west central and southwest kansas southeast colorado Western Oklahoma and the Texas Panhandle, where the wheat missed out on the rains, that drought area remains mostly dry the next 10 days, along with above-normal temperatures. Central Brazil's crop areas will receive lots of moderate rain this week that will benefit the second crop corn after a dry period for them.
0: And a regional lag weather brought to you by Kuhlman Repair this time around. Thank you very much, Paul. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're just a stone's throw away from the 80-degree mark already. It's not even noon.
4: Yeah, it's uh, warming up very quickly. I know this morning we didn't start off on a very uh, cool note. Um, temperatures this morning were very mild in most locations in the low 50s. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, we'll have to wait until Thursday before we have to really deal with anything uh, that approaches severe, right?
4: Exactly, yeah. Just mainly some hit and miss showers and thunderstorms for much of this week. Looks like Thursday into Friday night, a little bit better potential for some rain and, yeah, that better potential for some severe activity.
0: Good to know. And when you need weather anytime, KRVN.com.
4: Thank
1: trade disputes has AG producers doing damage checks I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the rural radio network as we take a midday look at your AG news here on a Monday Clay Patton has more.
4: 2018 has seen quite a few headlines involving trade disputes between the U.S. and other countries. Ag products have been the leverage used in several of these trade spats, and Bart Ruth, sixth-generation owner-operator of Ruth Farms and former American Soybean Association president, shows how what he calls saber-rattling is hurting his
3: operation.
5: You know, since the first of the year, we've seen a nice rally in soybean prices, I think as much as $0.75 cents since January 1st. And before all the saber-rattling and the talk of tariffs was in place, we were, could have sold soybeans into ABM and Lincoln for $10. Um, this morning, the price of 9.72, so that's a $0.28. Cents, yeah, just because of uncertainty in the market's ways. So, you know, in the case of our operation, that's uh, $24,000 difference from what we could have priced these at uh, six weeks ago.
4: Ruth wants elected officials to work together to calm the trade waters and prevent further damage to ag producers. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton.
1: And interest rates on most types of farm loans continued to move higher. A Kansas City Fed report says following modest increases in short term rates, commercial banks raised interest rates on loans used to finance various farm sector purchases. Following a period of historically low rates, interest rates increased most significantly on loans used to finance operating expenses. Operating loan interest rates have increased from a low level of 3.5% in 2015 to 4.9% in early 2018. Interest rates on other types of loans have also increased since 2015, but at a slower rate. In addition to the steady increase in interest rates, very few loans in the first quarter of this year were made at less than 4% interest. Back in 2015, more than 40% of farm loans that were used to finance non-real estate originated with an interest rate of less than 4%. In 2015, only 10% of farm loans carried an interest rate of more than 6%. In the first quarter of this year, only 21% of non-real estate farm loans were originated with an interest rate Of less than 4%, about 22% of the loans originated this year had an interest rate of more than 6%. And last week, Governor Ricketts and the Nebraska Department of Economic Development hosted members of a visiting Japanese business delegation, the relationship between Japan and Nebraska is very strong, said Governor Ricketts. Japan is actually the third largest importer of our products here in the state of Nebraska, almost 800 million. Japan is also the largest direct foreign investor in our state, and I'm very pleased to have all of our Japanese visitors, including the very prestigious Kendarian organization here in Nebraska. The delegates, members of Kendarian and prestigious Japanese economic organization comprised of upper-level C-suite business leaders, toured Nebraska firms and met with state officials and business leaders to discuss the important trade, business, and investment relationship that exists between Nebraska and Japan today. And finally, Bayer has announced a hybridized executive leadership team upon the closing of its proposed acquisition of Monsanto. The closing is still subject to pending regulatory approvals, but both companies have said they are hopeful for the transaction to be complete in the second quarter of 2018. The new combined group will be led by Liam Comden, who currently serves as a member of Bayer's Board of Management and President of the Crop Science Division, headquartered in Mannheim, Germany. He is also responsible for Bayer's Animal Health Business Unit. Several key Monsanto employees retain top positions, including Brett Begemann, who will become head of commercial operations. You can find the full story there by visiting RuralRadio.com. That's a midday look at Ag News. You're listening to the
6: Rural Radio Network. Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network, and joining me today is Mike Williams, a cattle producer from California who has played a key role in the development of the U.S. Beef Sustainability Framework. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for
5: having me, Alex.
6: Can you give us just a brief overview of the framework and the goals of this sustainability project?
5: Basically, what the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef is, it's a cross-sector initiative running all the way from cow-calf producers, feed yards, packers and retailers, even uh, a civil society component. Its purpose and and mission basically is to try to define, first of all, what sustainability means in the beef industry in the United States. And then once we kind of understand what that means and how do we improve the sustainability of of our beef production system. That's the effort that's underway right now, and we've come a long way in trying to define it. Some metrics that we think can help improve the sustainability as we go forward.
6: You briefly mentioned some of these assessment guides. What are the assessment guides? And since you're a cattle producer, can you talk about why this is essential for ranchers, especially in a practical sense as it relates to our cattle producers across the state?
5: Well, I mean, I don't know that it's essential for ranchers. What I do think is it can be a big help to ranchers. I think it's important, the approach that we we took in the cow-calf sector was that you know, sustainability in ranching is, I mean, that's our middle name. That's what we do. That's that's nature of our, of our business. And we actually, in the United States, we run the most sustainable beef production system in the entire world. And when we're the envy of the world in that regard, we can produce more beef with fewer resources than anybody on the planet and in an environmentally and, um, and socially responsible way. So that the issue isn't it, about sustainability, but is there there ways that we can improve? Is there ways that we can get better? And by definition in my book, uh, the things that you do to become more sustainable are the same things that you do to become a better rancher. The metrics that that were kind of established, every one of them things, if a rancher looks at that and and tries to incorporate some of these principles into his operation, or if he's already doing them, tries to enhance them and get better at them, he's going to be a better rancher and and a more profitable rancher. He'll have uh, better pastures, better cattle. All these things that uh, are in these metrics are ways to make your operation better. So these sustainability assessment guides are basically documents for the cow-calf producers. They describe what is meant by these metrics and and what we mean by them and why that's important. And then these guides will plan on having the tools there. The ranchers that are interested in, in becoming more sustainable or becoming better ranchers can look for tools and resources that they can then use in their operations to become better operators.
6: All right, Mike, do you have any other comments for us? The only thing I'd say,
5: because I, I think there'll probably be some ranchers out there that are a little skeptical of this process, but I'll tell you there's, there's nobody that to be more skeptical than I was going into this. And once I got a little bit familiar with the process, I saw that really this is a cross-sector effort, and, and everybody gets listened to, and nobody's dictating. One sector doesn't dictate to another sector, and it's all voluntary. I think a lot of the principles that, that we've come up with there are really pretty valuable in that they can help ranchers become better ranchers. And hopefully we'll be able to nail down the definition of sustainability.
6: Thank you, Mike. That's been Mike Williams, a cow-calf sector leader for the U.S. Beef Sustainability Framework. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening
0: to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Sports time now with Jason Jorgensen.
3: Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska men's basketball coach Tim Miles will meet with the media this afternoon. Now, there have been stories in the news that he has found a new assistant coach for his staff. And he may also give an update on James Palmer Jr. and Isaac Copeland, who were exploring their options of potentially turning pro for the first time this season. The NU baseball team won a big ten series as they knocked off Maryland yesterday five to two. Senior Matt Warren earned the win after going a season high six and two thirds shutout innings. He recorded four strikeouts. All allowing five hits and one walk. And head coach Darren Aristat says it was nice to have everything come together.
5: Yeah, a little pitch count there being aggressive and, and uh, to have some of those line drives go at people was, was big. Obviously, they made some very hard contact, but we were able to get multiple double plays throughout the game to kind of get any momentum that was being built gone. And, uh, you know, and uh, you know, we just, uh, yeah, found a way to get done.
3: OUNK hosted the MIAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships over the weekend at Kearney High. Pittsburgh State won both the men's and women's Men's crowns. UNK was improved over last year. The men finished sixth while the women were seventh. Doan University claimed team titles at the GPAC Outdoor Track and Field Championships. The Doan women scored 215 points while the men put up 237. The Hastings women and Northwestern men placed second for Doan. It was the women's sixth straight GPAC title. Huskers softball team snapped an eight-game losing streak yesterday, knocking off Illinois by a score of 6-3. to three. The Huskers scored four runs in the third and added two more insurance runs in the seventh to win the regular season with that victory. Of course, the Big Ten tournament is coming up later on this week. In the NBA, Chris Ball had 27 points and 12 rebounds, and James Harden scored 24, power the Rockets to a 187 win over the Jazz. Houston now leads that series three games to one, and Kevin Durant had 38 points and nine rebounds as Golden State soundly beat the Pelicans 118-92 to take a commanding 3-1 lead in that Western Conference semifinal series. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
7: Partly cloudy skies over the noon hour, then becoming mostly sunny later this afternoon. High temperatures in the mid-80s and a southeast wind, 15 to 20 miles an hour with gusts to around 30. Then for tonight, partly cloudy skies this evening, then becoming mostly cloudy after midnight. Low temperatures in the upper 50s and a southeast wind, 10 to 15 miles an hour. For tomorrow, partly cloudy skies, 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms late tomorrow afternoon with high temperatures in the mid-80s. From the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett's. At least five people have died in three different crashes close together on Interstate 80 in eastern Nebraska yesterday. The Nebraska State Patrol closed 13 miles of eastbound I-80 near Milford for several hours after the crashes on Sunday morning, and authorities have identified one of those five people. The Nebraska State Patrol says 33-year-old Abaziz Jama of Columbus, Ohio, died after the semi-trailer he was driving east around 10 a.m. rammed the back of another semi. The patrol says Jama may have been texting because he didn't slow down for traffic that had been slowed by an earlier collision in which four people were fatally injured. Dave Daniel, president and CEO of the First National Bank of Loomis, was selected as the chairman of the Nebraska Bankers Association during the association's annual convention two weeks ago in La Vista. Daniel was asked about some of the challenges facing lending and rural producers, and he notes that the past three or four year cycle of low commodity prices creates a struggle to make a living.
3: Um, there's been a few opportunities for some p- profitable pricing. Certainly the last two years, there were windows there that were three or four days long. I mean, they were, they were there. So for the guys that were that had their uh, marketing plans in place and they were able to get them executed, they took advantage of that. But unfortunately, the lion's share of my client base and something that's very similar to what uh, most bankers have said about their customers uh, clear across the state have uh, impacted or encountered the same thing where they, they miss their marketing opportunities.
7: Daniel says himself and other ag lenders are increasingly encouraging their customers to get connected with marketing professionals to help price their commodities. Investor Warren Buffett says the economy remains strong and business has been improving lately. Buffett told CNBC that the reports he gets from Berkshire Hathaway's many businesses show that the economy is doing well. Most Berkshire companies are hiring and in some areas it is hard to find workers. And recently, Dr. Robert Cadillac, M.D., the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, visited the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. UNMC Chancellor Dr. Jeffrey Gold talks about the reason for Dr. Cadillac's visit.
5: One of the initiatives that Dr. Cadillac is so interested in pursuing is enhancing national preparedness. And that's the exact reason that he came here, to visit with us, to tour the Ebola facilities and to meet our leadership team, our workforce in this area, and to use the experiences that we have had here in the development of NEETEC, the National Ebola Training and Education Center, as well as the uh, new facility that we're building here for training as a model for other programs across the U.S.
7: Dr. Cadillac called biopreparedness programs like NETEC at UNMC and Nebraska Medicine quote, a national treasure. Storm Center coverage live and always local. Catch it on air, on Twitter, on Facebook, and of course online at our website, krvn.com. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. In 2016,
2: Don Bacon unseated Brad Ashford in the race to represent Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskitt. Congressman Don Bacon served in the Air Force for nearly 30 years. Although his career was in the military, he is quick to point out his ag background while growing up on a farm in Illinois. He is now a member of the House Agriculture Committee in addition to assignments on the Homeland Security and Armed Services Committees. I recently sat down with Congressman Bacon in his Washington, D.C. office. We began the conversation by discussing why he wanted to serve on the House Ag Committee.
8: Well, I was actually raised on a farm. Uh, I I spent the first 21 years of my life uh, being on a corn and soybean farm, we had beef, cattle, and, uh, and I just know how important agriculture is to our, our country. It's a, t- a national treasure. Uh, but then when, uh, being elected out of the second district, yeah, it's Omaha, and it's a suburban, urban, with a little bit, maybe 5% rural area. Uh, but our economy in Omaha is very uh, connected to agriculture. We have food processing. Uh, transportation, our finance, our banks say their number one customers are agriculture. We have commodities, we have ir- irrigation factories, and combine factories. And you just go on and on. So, really, uh, the economy of Omaha is very agricultural based. And we needed some, someone from Nebraska to be on agriculture. At the time, we had nobody else. Now, Senator Fisher now has joined agriculture. So now we have two of us.
2: So, let's talk more about the uh, House Ag Committee. Specifically, you all were working on the House. Farm Bill. What was in there that you really kind of took a liking to and wanted to uh, especially make sure was in that version of the
8: uh, House bill? Well, the number one thing I hear from farmers is we need affordable crop insurance. So we, we were able to maintain it and plus we tweaked it a little bit with the new realities of the uh, commodity prices being 50% of what they were in 2014. So I think the bill's actually better than the, the, the previous bill for affordable crop insurance. Now, we've also started a foot and mouth disease vaccine program. I don't think it's where we wanted that yet. But I think we also the technology and the science has to grow. But we're starting to go down that path that we want a vaccine bank that will protect our trade. If we have a foot and mouth disease outbreak in the United States, it will kill our livestock trade for maybe five years. So we need to have an insurance plan that covers that. So I was proud of that. I think we put more money into the trade programs. In the end, the agriculture industry of America is very dependent on trade. We got to open up trade doors, and. Nobody can f- produce food, price, food at the price that we do. So we have the competitive advantage. That means we've got to open up doors for trade. So I like that. Now I also think that the SNAP reforms are needed. And I know they've been made controversial. They've been demagogued. Uh, and, it, and, it, and unfortunately, demagogued falsely. Not a single dollar is being cut from SNAP. And what we're saying is if you don't have dependent children, you're not over 60, or uh, you know, uh, getting close to retirement there, or if, you're not, you, know, if you don't have a handicap, you'll be required to do 20 hours of technical training or 20 hours work but our goal is to help give people the tools so they can compete in the job market and I think the taxpayers want that And I think most people on Snapple want to have that free technical training and it's paid for so I think it's a a good reform
2: let's talk about the foot and mouth vaccine bank that you discussed it was not fully funded can you uh, kind of shed a light on why that was and maybe answer the question if you don't fund it fully is it worth funding in the first place? well
8: and I've talked to the chairman about it and the thought is, and he's got a great point, it's really, the, tech, the science isn't quite there yet. So what we want to do is really lay on the, the foundation and as we get a little bit better technology and science on this vaccine and then we know we cover more of the strains of foot and mouth, then we'll fully fund it. Uh, if you if fund it too early and it's not quite ready for prime time, we, we don't want to waste the taxpayers' money. We know we need to go down this direction. And we just got to let the technology get us to this space where we can cover a broader array of foot and mouth disease strains. That's how I understand from the chairman. So I I think we're going the right direction, probably at the right pace, until we know we can better cover uh, the, the various strains out there. Final
2: question before you, before we let you go, Congressman Bacon. It has to do with uh, some of the things you were just talking about, but more on the Department of Transportation. That has to do with the electronic logging mandate that truckers uh, and Nebraska livestock haulers are very worried about. What can lawmakers do at this point to uh, to help make sure that we can trans? It comes down to an animal welfare issue. What, what can lawmakers do here in D.C. to ensure that animals are protected and, and hold healthily?
8: Well, first of all, this is a great question. And this is what I've been working on since the January when I got sworn in. So January 17th. So I heard from the livestock community, they do not like electronic logging device, period. It was, and some of them said it's our number one issue, some of them said it's our number two issue. depends who you talk to. So I got the message loud and clear. And then I heard from the independent tr- truckers, and they made it clear that th- this was not something they liked. So I did vote to postpone the ELD uh, back last to uh, August. But I would just tell you, as I've gotten smarter on this, and I've, and I've talked to the broader community, it's not going to go away. So what we have to do is work on the hours of service because the ELD itself isn't the problem. It's the regulation it's enforcing. So the ELD itself is a, an enforcement tool and it does create safety, If but the rules aren't right right now. So we've got to write the rules differently when you have livestock on board or, you know, because you don't want to pull the truck over in 100 degree heat because you're out of hours and you've got livestock on board because they're going to die. So we have to provide that update in the hours of service that are, that are common sense and we don't have it right now. And so I'm, I'm a, a, a supporter and I'm pushing hard for our transportation committee and the Department of Transportation. To re-look how do we rewrite these hours of service rules? That's what's got to be done. So I would just say I think ELD is here. It's not going to be taken away. So let's restructure the rules that it's enforcing and make it smarter. That
2: was Congressman Don Bacon, who represents Nebraska's second congressional district. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. Let's get an assessment of this livestock futures trade
9: from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe?
10: Yeah, we're still working with some negative uh, ideas in the uh, cattle complex. Uh, uh, Despite the fact that we had a pretty good trade in cattle uh, this last week, uh, but the fear that uh, numbers are going to start to really pick up and... uh, prices are going to come down now Uh, that uh, really uh, put some pressure on a lot of talk about uh, uh, export business being uh, a little bit uh, lighter uh, mainly uh, from china uh, kind of rejecting our beef uh, uh, in advance of any tariffs so uh, that news kind of filtered into the uh, into the uh, equation today and uh, we had some triple-digit losses, so a lot of weakness in the cattle, uh, despite the fact that the cutouts were higher, but uh, volume uh, fairly light on the on the box trade. Uh, now, the hogs, a little bit different. Uh, the only one down was the uh, nearby May contract, but it's still uh, $3 or so premium to the uh, index, but uh, that held it back uh, as it... As we move closer, we only, only a week away from the expiration now of the May contract. The rest of the contracts higher, and that was uh, mainly due to a good product movement last week and, and a sharply higher cutouts. So uh, looks looks uh, relatively good for down the road in the in the pork complex.
9: Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities at eight hundred three two eight. 0134. That's 800-328-0134. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
6: There's more
4: behind the scenes when it comes to sorghum and China. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Arlen Suderman with F.C. Stone joined me yesterday during the Fontenelle Final Bell as we talked about the sorghum and China issue. He gave us some
11: backfill. China first impacted the grain sorghum market, which had been red hot this year. Chinese end users have been trying to buy up as much grain sorghum from the United States as they could find because it was so much cheaper than what the local corn was and better quality in many cases as well. And China didn't like that because it was preparing to release some more corn out of its reserve from years 2013, 14 and 15 and that corn would not have the same quality as what fresh corn, freshly harvested corn would. And uh they wanted to make sure that it didn't have competition in the beet grain market so what they did do is come out similar things that they've done in the past to try to stop imports from the United States is they said they were going to initiate an anti-dumping um, practice investigation we're going to start an anti-dumping investigation and which meant there could be tariffs put on grain sorghum that shut the sales off dramatically at the time they shut the sales off there were about 30 cargoes of grain sorghum been sold to China into unknown destinations, largely believed to be China, um, that had not been shipped yet. So those end users have been actively trying to get that grain sorghum shipped two or three cargos per week. Suddenly China comes out this week and on Tuesday and says, starting on Wednesday, any grain sorghum that gets shipped to China, the exporters of that grain sorghum are going to be required to deposit with us money equal to 178.6% of that. That shut off shipments. So now there's a bunch of those cargoes of ships of grain sorghum out in the Pacific Ocean looking for another home. There's grain companies here in the United States who had accumulated grain sorghum to be shipped uh, based on those contracts with those Chinese buyers who are now trying to find other customers for it to be in much of that looking to Mexico that hasn't been loaded yet. And so... Really, we're having a fire sale on grain sorghum. That's a net negative for the U.S. farmer in the plane. Do
1: you think that this is just going to be a temporary blip on the radar when it comes to sorghum?
11: Well, first of all, this is totally separate from the trade war that was started afterwards. But China will sweep it into that to try to score more political points and, and maybe even try to tie it so they can try to build the pressure, political pressure on President Trump to yield. But this is just another ongoing way that China kind of has been a problem for the U.S. farmer trying to count on any type of a steady market there. Just because we can grow grain sorghum cheaper than what they can, I do think it's going to going to unless there's some type of a trade deal reached that would allow movement. I think that it's probably shut off for at least a year or maybe two to three years. More likely, probably a year. For a year and a half or two years somewhere in that range until they get their corn reserves down to a manageable level. And then I think they're going to need it because I think their ethanol industry is going to be with their new 10% blending mandate is going to require enough feed grain um, st- feedstocks for the ethanol production that they're going to need the feed grain. And so I think it'll be back after a year or two. But in the meantime that was a huge market taken away from us.
6: Comments with Arlen Suderman. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network.
9: Grain markets plummeted today especially soybeans and winter wheat as well as spring wheat futures. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network and with us John Payne who is the senior marketing analyst with Daniels Ag marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. We really took it on the chin today, John.
12: Yeah, really soybean story is uh, the US envoy returned home without a deal with China. Uh, I think there's some fears now that uh with meal falling there really is no no incentive for with you know the crush margins being high. Uh we'll see some liquidation there. I think as the planning starts, too, it cool. we'll have a pretty good planning window for soybeans. So, you know, risk-off is the, the mood, and I think you're seeing wheat, uh, corn and wheat to a certain degree, degree get washed out with it. Wheat has its own story, though.
9: And uh, you mentioned wheat has its own story. Oh, Kansas City leads the way down, and is that because of weather issues here?
12: Well, uh, no, not here. Over overseas, you're seeing... The premium that we put in specifically on the Chicago side last week, due to some problematic things going on in the Black Sea, are kind of being taken out now. So. What you have is the U.S. hard red wheat that's 40 to 40 dollars per metric ton, which is essentially about 10 cents, 15 cents per bushel above where uh, where it's being offered overseas. Uh, you know, and, and a lot higher in new crop given the carry that we've seen. So uh, even with the hard hard wheat red wheat losses, uh, the U.S. is going to have to be competitive to move ex- any excess supply. Um, although I will say, if you look at the numbers we saw last week. Uh, you know we're going to be eaten in this any uh... reserve supply anyway so uh, i think you know the momentum trade really has been pushing wheat and now you're seeing the opposite factor happen uh, i look for continued weakness probably through the WASD on wheat although corn i think can stand on its own legs here i, I you know we maybe see this push itself back down below four dollars as far as july goes but i would not be a seller on these breaks
9: well and you look at that december contract holding above that four fifteen mark okay was that pretty significant as well
12: I don't know, 4.15, 4.10 it seems to be more like the level, uh, you know, if you're looking for where we've chopped around. But, again, I, I think you've seen bushels probably priced in the last two weeks. You've got harvest. I'm sorry. Planting that uh, is is going well. You know, I know we're a little late to get started, but uh, things are, are 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 rosy. And then, you know, some rain in the forecast for Brazil. But again, I, I think uh, the USDA reports are going to be friendly. So, uh, if you are a buyer, you want to be a buyer, this is your chance. You know, maybe buy some calls ahead of that USDA report and catch a, a move post post report. And then, uh, you know, the tariffs. I mean, this stuff is going to be a story that we're going to continue to talk about throughout the rest of the summer. So, when it comes to soybeans, I think it's something you better be used to. Um, you know, I, I just worry that uh, you know, any, any U.S. problems that are going to come are going to come from a lower price and maybe back, bring it back up here.
9: Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.